Game seven, World Series, 2016. Chicago Cubs have a chance. It's been 108 years, and they've never been closer. It's the seventh inning. They've come back from a 3-1 deficit. They tied it up. It's 6-3. to three. The crowd is electric. And the bottom of the eighth inning, the Indians hit a double and two home runs. And the wind just gets sucked out of the Cubs fans. Right? This, is, this is how it has felt for literally over a century to be a Cubs fan. We believe, and it all falls off the rails. We believe, and we're cursed. We believe, and then it fails, and everything falls apart. And why, 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 why? Why? Now, game goes into extra innings. And there's a rain delay. And everybody gets stuck in the dugouts. As a little-known story about what happens in the dugout, basically, in the Cubs dugout, everyone is acting like they've already lost. Because we're cursed, and this is what's happened to us for 108 years. And it's just demoralizing and depressing. And finally, Jason Hayward stands up and says, you know, guys, we get paid millions of dollars to play a kid's game. And we were the best team in our league. That's how we got here. And actually, we came back from a 3-1 deficit. That's how we got here. And actually, we've been up for most of this game. That's how we got here. Remember who you are. Remember how we got here. This is our game to win. And the Cubs went out and scored two runs and won the World Series for the first time in over a century. <laughs> Identity is really important. And that's why we spent the last four weeks talking about identity, who we are in Christ. Four words from Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, beloved. And I have done this every week, and I'm going to do this to you yet again. Say this with me. In Christ. In Christ. But like with feeling. In Christ. In Christ. I am chosen. I am, chosen. I am adopted. I am, adopted. I am redeemed. I am, redeemed. I am beloved. And this is our last week in the series. We're talking about belovedness, that you are dearly and deeply loved by the God of the universe. If you hear nothing else today, you are dearly and deeply loved by the God of the universe. And the more you can embrace that, and really the more you can allow that to embrace you, the more you're going to experience the kind of life that we talk about when we talk about why Jesus is good news. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're in Ephesians 1, and we're going to be reading at verse 3. And we're going to read a few more verses today than we've been reading. Uh, in fact, we're going to read all the verses we've read uh, up until now. Uh, we're going to read at Ephesians 1, 3. We're spending most of our time on verse 6, though. <sighs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. 
Look how much God loves us. That's supposed to be your reaction. Wow, look how much God loves us. And sometimes when we stop and we look like verse by verse or word by word, we sort of miss the forest for all the trees. The message for the entire book of Ephesians is that God loves you. Really the message for the entire Bible is that God loves you. It is the first and most important thing that God says to us. It is the thing that Jesus is here to say most clearly above any other thing. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It is a simple truth, but one that is very hard to wrap our heads around and our lives around. One that's very hard to really let, let, us, kind of let ourselves be embraced by. And I was reminded of this this week. I was getting coffee with a friend, and we were talking about life, and he's a businessman, but also a really deep Christian. And he was asking what we were preaching about, and I talked about this series that we've been going through. And he said, oh, yeah, Ephesians. Every time I read that book, I think about when my wife and I were just dating. We just started. It was a couple weeks in. And I was taking this trip to Germany, and she wrote me a letter to read on the trip, a love letter. She wrote it in German. And she grew up in Germany, but I didn't. So I don't read German or speak German. I think she thought this was a really cool idea. Like, like it would be a puzzle that I would solve and I would discover moment by moment just how much she cares about me. But I mostly just stressed out about it. It just created huge anxiety in me because we'd only been dating a few weeks and if you don't read mail that someone gives you who loves you, I mean, that's a big deal. And so I'm, I'm on the train to Brussels and I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, just getting more and more concerned that I, I need to do this well. And I'm looking out the window as the countryside is kind of flying by and I hear a woman speaking English with a thick German accent. And I think, yeah, that's, I think this is like my only hope. And so I get up and I go looking for the voice. And I, there's this little old lady talking to this little old man. And I say, excuse me, I'm sorry, this may sound strange. Do you speak English? And she said, nein, ich verstehe sie nicht. Not her. And turns out, not, not the right lady. That there, and thankfully, she heard me. And she said, actually, son, I think you're looking for me over here. And so I went and I sat down next to her and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, this is strange. Um, you, you speak German. Yes. You speak English. Yes. My girl, this girl I know, she, she wrote me a letter and um, could, you, could you read it to me and help me understand it? She said, well, I'll try. So opens it up. And before she reads any of the words out loud, she says, oh, so this is, oh, this is a girl you're dating. Wow, she really likes you. She really likes you. And he goes, yeah, I... No, I, no, I don't think you do. She really likes you. He said, I had this really strange moment where I talked to a total stranger for half an hour about how much my girlfriend loves me. And it was like talking to her helped me hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. Like it just started to hit home all of a sudden. And every time I read Ephesians, I think about that, about trying to explain this relationship that I have with someone who really loves me and I'm still just starting to understand what it looks like that, that they really love me. Paul is breathless in this letter as he's trying to tell you just how much God loves you. He's just piling up words and adjectives and nouns all over the place. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're, you are adopted. You're loved. You're brought into God's family. You've been redeemed. God has given you power and insight and wisdom and an, and an inheritance. I don't think you really understand. Just He's running out of words that's what Paul is doing. He's just trying to overwhelm you with how much God loves you. 
But technically, in those verses, he never actually says, God loves you. In fact, the only time the word love pops up in all of Ephesians 1 is in verse 6. That's clearly the point of Ephesians 1, that God loves us. And he says it all over the place in other chapters in this book. But in Ephesians 1, the only person it really says that God loves is Jesus. In verse 6, it says, To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Jesus is our beloved, someone that we dearly love. And it's just this wonderful thing in the church that we get to talk about how much we love Jesus. And if you would say that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, that he's a deep part of your life, that you have a relationship with Jesus, you'd, you'd start talking maybe about how when you were growing up, you, you were figuring out what it meant to be loved by Jesus, or maybe that you came to Christ as an adult and what that really looks like in your life. Or you talk about baptism, or you talk about the cross, or maybe some of the words that we talked about in this series, right? That you've been chosen by God in a world that doesn't choose us, that most of the time tells us we're nothing and we're worthless, but God tells us that we're special and beloved, that, that we've been brought into God's family, that we've been adopted, that we belong, that we've been redeemed, that God has changed our story, that he saved us from a miserable past for a beautiful future. We would talk about these things because we've come to know Jesus. We've, we've started to see just how amazing it is that God loves us. We love Jesus. He is our beloved. But humanity in general likes Jesus. I mean, there's, there's just something about Jesus. And when you have really interesting spiritual conversations with people in your life, you'll start to realize that your non-Christian friends like Jesus. I mean, there's something about Jesus. In other religions, they call him things like an avatar, a Buddha, a truly enlightened one, someone who's just this wise, deep moral teacher, a deep thinker and religious writer, a, a prophet. There's something about Jesus. When you read stories about Jesus, he's just attractive. You hear words that Jesus says, and you think, oh, I should live my life that way. There's, man, that's, I'm going to have to think about that for a while. Jesus just seems to understand humanity and seems to really live it out exactly the way we'd, we'd want to be human. He seems to have figured out what that looks like. There's something about Jesus, when you read stories about him, you realize he would like me. He would want me to eat with him. And I would love to spend time with that guy. Whether you believe certain things about Jesus or not, there's just something about Jesus that we love. Jesus is our beloved, but he's not only our beloved. And Paul has left it weirdly ambiguous in verse 6. He's also God's beloved. We love Jesus, but God loves Jesus, which is something we don't usually bother to say because it's sort of obvious. But God really loves Jesus for all the reasons that we love him, but more. Kind of like I love my wife, and friends of mine also love my wife, and other people who know my wife, love her, and, and I hear the things they like about her, I'm like, oh yeah, but it, it's actually better than you even know. Actually, she's more remarkable than actually you, you realize. I see how deep and how far and how great that is. That God sees all of that in Jesus, but it's a strange thing to say that God loves Jesus because we also would say that Jesus is God. And this is one of the great mysteries in the church that we talk about the Trinity. And there's this reality where God is father to Jesus and Jesus is son to God and there's also the spirit who's all mixed up in the whole thing. And, and the early church didn't really bother to explain this. Most of the time they just talked about how God is this great dance of love. This just constant swirling motion where you can't really see any one face. There's just unity of the whole thing. And you know that God is constantly saying to God, I love you, and constantly hearing it back twice as loudly. That the Father loves the Spirit, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, that this is, this is who God is, that God is love. The Bible tells us about this time and time again, that God is love in his very being. It's not something God has, it's something God is, something God does. 
And in Jesus, we get brought into that. That's the amazing thing about the belovedness of Jesus. That Jesus is our beloved, that Jesus is God's beloved, means that, that Jesus is this mediator. That's what it says in Scripture, this truly beloved one, beloved by humanity because he really gets what it is to be human, beloved by God because he really gets what it is to be God, someone who knows God so well that he can tell us what it's like. He can tell us how God feels about us, how God thinks about us, what God wants for us, why God made us, what life is really about. And that when Jesus talks to God, he truly understands who we are. We have in Jesus someone who is truly beloved, and in Jesus we find our belovedness. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we come to understand just how deeply and richly loved we are. And the amazing thing about the story of Christianity isn't just that God dies for us on the cross, which is amazing. It's also that God became one of us, that God took on flesh for us, that God became like us, that he might draw us into the very being and the love of God. So the more closely we are connected to Jesus, the more the love of God for Jesus just overflows and spills out into our life. If you've ever been to a Jewish wedding where people dance the hora, uh, or if you've ever been to a, one of the old school weddings where the conga line happens, which maybe it's happened in weddings you've been to, where somebody just all of a sudden grabs you and you're just in a dance and you didn't really expect it to happen and you're just, you can't walk away because everyone's just grabbed onto you and it's fun and it's moving and there's joy and laughter and you can't really figure out where it starts and where it ends. That's, that's what life is like in Jesus. You get drawn into the love and dance of God's own being. And this, Paul says, is, is the grace with which he's graced us. Uh, to the praise of the glorious grace that he's freely bestowed on us. That's what it said in verse 6. And that translation is good, but really literally in Greek, uh, it's just the word grace and then it's a verb for grace. So it's the grace that God has graced us with. It's this intentional, redundant, obnoxious way of using language that you go, I'm just trying to hit you over the head with how much God has given you grace and love in Jesus Christ. This remarkable thing that God has done, that God loves us, not because we're so amazing and impressive and remarkable, that God loves us, not because there's nothing about our lives that needs changing, that God loves us simply because God loves us. Because God looks at you and he sees someone truly and remarkably lovable. That when God looks at you, he sees the beloved. He sees some of what he sees in Jesus, in each and every one of us. And the Bible in another well, a different book of the Bible will talk about this grace that we know in Jesus in a very familiar verse. It'll say that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might have life through him. That God loves the world so much, that God loves you so much that he would send the person he loves most, Jesus, to live and to die for us. And that should wipe any imagination that God is angry with us away. That should just completely obliterate any sense that God has come to condemn us. That in Jesus Christ, the thing that God says most clearly is, I love you this much. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. The grace with which he has graced us. That's what Paul is talking about. This amazing rich gift that we have not earned, that we cannot earn. And yes, that has consequences for the way we live our lives. And yes, that has consequences for the, the brokenness and the flawedness that we have in our lives. But the amazing thing about God in Jesus is that the grace of God, the love of God is so rich and so deep that he does not care about all of your flaws and your failures and your brokenness. In fact, he loves you exactly in the middle of those things. And his love is so much more powerful than your brokenness that it transforms it. 
and he makes you into the beloved. He makes you look like Jesus. That's what the Bible says time and time again. And most of the time we struggle to embrace this truth. And we struggle really to let it embrace us. We kind of hold God at arm's length. Um, Jesus actually tells a story of a couple of kids uh, who didn't understand the love of their father. And it's, it's called The Prodigal Son, and it's a, a really famous story. But it's basically two kids who don't understand their dad. And one kid goes, man, life would be better if I wasn't in my father's house. It would be better somewhere else. And he finds out just how not true that is. He goes wandering far away from his father, and there's just this day where he suddenly comes to his senses and goes, life was never better than when I was, I've made a huge mistake. And he comes back to his father, and he wonders if maybe he could just be in the house. Not even like a kid anymore. He thinks he's lost that. But if he could just be in the house, that life would be better. And his dad, while he's still a long way off, comes running and just hugs him tightly to his chest. And he's trying to apologize, and his dad just says, Oh, my son who was lost has been found. That's how much God loves you. There's no talk of all the things that you need to apologize. That's how much God loves you. He's loved you long before you ever thought to turn your life back around. Yes, turn your life back around. Yes, stop wandering in misery and darkness. But so that you can experience the love of the Father. There's another kid in the story, though. And this kid, he sees what happens in the life of his brother, and he doesn't get it, he, doesn't, he just doesn't trust the love of the father, and he kind of holds everything at arm's length and says, I just, there's something about this I don't want, and he, he keeps himself out of the love that God has for him, the love that the father has for him. It's this tragic ending to the story, don't be like the other brother. Don't keep God at arm's length. Allow him to hold you tightly to his chest. Belovedness is a tricky thing to learn to live with. And I think the story of the Christian life a lot of the time, what it means to be a disciple is learning to see yourself the way God sees you, learning to just sort of accept God's belovedness and to see that God really does just love you in Jesus Christ, that he's brought you close to him and to let him kind of hug you in that way. And those of us who have intimacy issues go, yep, that, I have that issue, not just with Jesus, but with other people. And I'm, I'm working on that, and that's something that God is, is doing in my life but there was this woman I met uh, the other day whose name was Marlena, and um, she, just, she was sort of the epitome of this story. We were, uh, my, I was hanging out with a different friend, and we were getting drinks late at night. Uh, he's a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and we were talking about life and all sorts of things. And um, yeah, she walked up to us. She's this pregnant woman. We were sort of lingering in the parking lot, and she said, you know, there have been some people who are really mean to me today, and i just cruel, and I'm trying to figure out kind of where I'm going, and I, I don't want to walk anymore. She was homeless, and I just, I need somebody to take me somewhere. Would you guys give me a ride? Yeah. So she gets in the car, and we start driving, and she starts telling her story. It's just clear people have, have been really cruel to her, and they've been saying things like, you're a mistake, and the fact that you have a kid, that's a huge mistake, and you're just, you're a drug addict, and you're never going to be any different. You, you just, you've messed up your life, and you've ruined it, and she's hearing this from other drug addicts, and it's just this, like, you're never going to get out. You're never, there's no hope for you. And she's in the car and she's like, but I just, there's something about this kid that I just, I feel like I need to live differently. And I know I've been a heroin addict for years, and I, I, but I just, I want to change things. And she was more talking to herself and kind of processing some of this stuff out loud. And she's like, I just, I feel like I need to get back to where I used to be, that I need to get back to like a Christian path or something like that. I don't know if you guys are religious, but like that's, that's just one of those things. And we, yeah, okay. And, and we pulled into the place where we were going. We just kept letting her chat with us and and she said, I just, I think I need to just keep praying. And I just, I think, I hope, and again, I don't know if you guys are religious, but if you'd pray for me, I think that'd be great. And I said, yeah, you know, if, we'd pray, if we could pray for you right now, I don't know if that's weird, but I don't mind being weird. And she said, sure. And so 
I started praying for it, and she immediately interrupted me and just started praying all by herself. It was clear she had so much stuff just bottled up that she needed to talk to God about. And the prayer went on for a long time, like 10 minutes, just praying and praying and praying about God and, and her story and all the things she's done wrong, and she's just kind of processing it out loud. And it's been a long time, and suddenly in the middle of it, she says, I, God, I, just, I pray that you would send me some people who just, who'd know you and like who'd know how you feel and like what I should do and that could just give me some sense of what you want from me. And that's an opportunity. And so I dove right in and just interrupted her. She'd interrupted me, so I felt good. And I said, you know, Marlena, I just have to tell you, God has already answered your prayer. Um, God, long before you actually got in the car with us, knew where you were going to be tonight. And he sent us to a parking lot in the middle of the night on a Wednesday. You're sitting in a car with two pastors. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, God has sent us to take care of you and to drive you where you're going. God has sent us to tell you just how much he loves you. That's how God feels about you. I can say this with absolute confidence. God loves you dearly and richly and deeply. And that baby is absolutely a gift in your life. And you're right, this is a moment where you can turn your whole life around. We have lots of moments like that. But God loves you. You can turn your whole life around right now, and that just means you can live in God's love. God loves you whether or not you do that, but God desperately wants you to walk away from the life that you've been living. We had a much longer conversation about Jesus and things that she could do and people that we know that she could connect with. And she was like, man, this is really surprising and really great. And I said, yeah, the thing that's so surprising is just how much God loves you and just how much God loves even people like me. The really surprising thing is just how much God loves you And God loves people like me. And that's why we end up praising the glorious grace of God that he graced us with, that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved one. That's who Jesus is in our story. That's what that looks like in our story. And I've been reflecting kind of on Marlena's experience and sort of on this passage in um, a book by a guy named Henry Nouwen uh, called The Life of the Beloved. I have some ideas for how you might live into your belovedness. So these are some thoughts, and it's not an exhaustive list, but number one, I think it would be a good idea if you really want to experience belovedness, if you want to lean into God's love for you, uh, to start looking for the voices in your life that tell you you aren't beloved, uh, to start recognizing that there's actually a pretty strong message out there in the world around us. And sometimes it's from marketing executives or uh, from family members or from friends, actually, or dating relationships, toxic things that... We just kind of get involved in people who tell us, you know, you're not loved yet. You're not enough yet. If only you would do this. If only you would do that. You're, you're just not quite there. You're not really that great. That we would become aware of those voices in our lives, and we would name them for what they are, lies. And we would begin to recognize, yeah, that voice is not telling me who I am in Christ. That voice is leading me farther and farther away from my belovedness. We start calling them out for what they are, lies, and we stop listening to those lies. That'd be one. Another one, prayer. That you would spend some time in prayer, listening to the voice of the one who calls you beloved. The more you hear the voice of Jesus, the more you can be sure what he is saying to you is, I love you, I love you, I love you. And sometimes in prayer, we, we come and we tell God all sorts of things that we've sort of got bottled up inside, and that's good. But to spend five minutes just listening, just quietly listening to the voice of God. Do that every day. Five minutes, start small, every day for a month, and see if you don't feel closer to God at the end of a month. See if you don't have a better sense of how much God loves you at the end of a month, every day. Not because you need to do this to be a better person, not because you need to do this to get God to love you. God already loves you. 
we do this because we desperately need to hear God tell us just how dearly and deeply loved we are. It sounds self-absorbed, but weirdly, the more you listen to God say that, the less self-absorbed you become. That's one of the things about belovedness. You just keep wanting to bring people in to this dance. So prayer. Identifying lies, prayer. Uh, a third thing, spend time in a community of beloved people. Uh, this is a good example, right, on a Sunday morning. Uh, a small group would be a good example. Uh, a mentoring relationship, a relationship with just one friend who really you know, wants to be like Jesus and is helping you want to be more like Jesus. People who will remind you of your belovedness. Bunch of reasons for that. One, sometimes it's hard to ignore lies in our lives. Another, sometimes it's hard to hear the voice of God in our life. And it's good to have some people in our life who go, yeah, I've been there, and I know what you're talking about, and I just want to remind you of the truth that you already know, that God loves you dearly and deeply. You are God's beloved. And sometimes in those communities, we reciprocate, and we realize, I don't, I don't really need that today, but I know that other people probably need that today. And, and we become the voice that helps the people who tell, we, we sort of, we, we feed it back to them, and we remind them, actually, you're dearly and deeply loved. By God, you told me this, and now I'm telling you this. And that's sort of the community of the, the beloved, what it looks like to do life together as, as people who follow Jesus. We're constantly reminding one another of how much God loves us in Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing really would just be to celebrate your belovedness. Um, just to, to be aware of those moments when God is speaking that truth in your life, when you see that in Scripture, when you, when you hear that in a song on the radio, when you suddenly find that some people have shown up in your life unexpectedly to take care of you. To just keep your eyes open and realize that God actually loves you dearly and deeply and is moving in your story. A position of gratitude will really help you understand your belovedness. Those are four really good ways uh, to help you praise the glory of his grace that he's graced us with in the beloved. Now, that all of this, uh, Paul says, uh, is so that we would end up just going, thank you, thank you, thank you to God. That we would stand up and sing and shout to the God who loved us and the God who made us and the God who dearly and deeply loved us in Jesus Christ, the God who has redeemed us and changed our story, the God who tells you that that's who you are, no matter what anyone else has ever told you about yourself and your story, you are beloved by God. There's this old story that Henry Nouwen tells in that book that I mentioned. He was a Catholic priest who worked in a community of mentally handicapped people. And one day, a woman named Janet came up to him, serious special needs, and said... I want you to bless me. And he said, all right. And he started just sort of automatically doing a thing that priests do. She said, no, that's, that's not what I mean. I want something that works. <laughs> all right. And she walked away, and he was just processing that, and also that he had he'd sort of been automatic, and he hadn't really taken her seriously. He's like, I don't really know what she wanted or what I was going to do, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll bless you later at the prayer meeting we're going to have. And so there's a prayer meeting again of mentally handicapped people, and uh, he says, I, I was really stalling. I had no plan. And I, I said, Janet has asked for a special blessing. And I was thinking, I don't know what she wants, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And when I said her name, she stood up, and she just walked toward me. And so I stood up. And I was wearing my robes, and she gives me this big hug. And I give her a big hug. And just she disappeared into my robes. And I said, Janet, you are dearly beloved by the God of the universe. And we know lots of reasons why. And he starts naming reasons why. But God knows so many more things about you and your story. And that's why God loves you. God just loves you so richly and deeply. I know it's hard sometimes. I know you're sad sometimes. And I just hope that that truth will find its way deeply into your heart. That you will be blessed with the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Janet sat down. And... 
you tried to go on with the meeting, but if you've spent a lot of time with mentally handicapped folks, uh, you'll know that what happened next was inevitable, that immediately someone with Down syndrome stood up and said, I want a blessing. And he came forward, and there's a big hug. And he said, oh, God, I just want you to help Patrick know how dearly and deeply beloved he is, that you love him with an everlasting love. Then on the days he can't figure out how to love himself, that on the days other people tell him he, he's worthless, that you would let him know how dearly and deeply loved he is. And Patrick sat down. And this happened for everyone in the group. The prayer meeting was over. It was just, this is what we were going to do. And when it was all over and everyone had been blessed, and some people had been blessed more than once, uh, there was a, a man in the corner, he was 24 years old, not one of the people uh, on the campus. He was actually just one of the assistants, somebody who worked there, not mentally handicapped. He said, what about me? And now said, sure, come here. And he comes in and he wraps his arms around him and he says, John, you've heard me say this to so many people and you should know that you are also God's favorite. That God is infinite and he has an infinite number of favorites. That you are loved with an everlasting love, that it's so good that you're here, that you are the beloved of God. And John had tears in his eyes and he just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, you are God's favorite. Each of you is God's favorite. You are dearly and deeply loved. You are the beloved of God. And the more you can let that embrace you, the more you're going to find yourself saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. And the more you find your belovedness in Jesus, the more you're going to find that you just need to reach out and grab more people and drag them into the dance. Friends, that's your identity in Christ. That's the word God has said most clearly in Jesus. You are dearly and deeply loved. May that sink deeply into your lives today. May you feel his arms around you today, dragging you tightly to his chest. Would you pray with me?